This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter. Unfortunately, not joined as I am each week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Our schedules were unable to align this week, so I will be flying solo for this edition of the TSN MMA Show. And, you know, there's no PFL event, no Bellator event, no UFC event this week. Well, what could we possibly have to talk about? Well, yesterday, the UFC decided to create an interim heavyweight championship, one of the more meaningless inter interim titles that uh, you'll see. And I've always been a proponent of interim titles. You know, uh, most people hate them. They say they're meaningless. They say they're pointless. I'm not of that opinion. I think if you have a champion that's not able to compete for whatever reason, in terms of health, then definitely creating an interim championship makes a lot of sense. But Francis Ngannou just won the heavyweight championship. He's healthy. I mean, we saw that first fight. He didn't take barely any damage. Apparently, there was a reason why he was unable to compete in August. So, they just went ahead and booked an interim championship bout between Derek Lewis, who's going to be fighting for the title in his hometown of Houston, Texas, and Cyril Gunn, who just competed and won this past weekend against Alexander Volkov. Francis won the title back in March 27th of 2021. So, we're talking about March to April, April to May, May to June, three months, almost on the dot from when they announced the interim championship. You look at how often they had Francis Ngannou sitting around waiting for a heavyweight fight. And they, he kept fighting guys. He kept fighting Junior Dos Santos. He fights uh, Jarzinho Rosenstrike. It, it takes the guy forever to get a title shot. And I posted a comparison of the amount of time in cage that these guys have had since the debut of Cyril Gunn. And Cyril Gunn was something like an hour and 40 minutes. And for Francis Ngannou, it was like just over six minutes. And that wasn't a comparison of their fights or the way they fight. You know, people are saying, oh, but they're different skill sets. Yes, I, I'm aware that they have different skill sets. I cover the sport for a living. The comparison is that you have a guy that is able to be that active. You've got a heavyweight that's able to log those kind of minutes. Francis hasn't gotten that kind of in-cage experience. He still hasn't. I, if you look at the entire career of Cyril Gunn versus the career of Francis Ngannou, Cyril has had far more UFC in-cage experience. And, of course, that's because Francis Ngannou is such a destroyer and gets people out of there in the first round. I understand that. But there's really no substitute for in-cage experience, and they've robbed Francis Ngannou of having a lot of in-cage experience. Since the beginning of 2019, he's fought four times for a total of less than seven minutes. Or just over seven minutes. And you look at Gunn, and he got 25 minutes this past weekend. So we're talking about in two years, you got one guy getting seven minutes of time. And then you look at what kind of competition Gon has faced in that amount of time. It's just way more. And that's not to say that that's a good thing for Cyril Gon. He's putting on miles, but he's also getting the experience. Whereas Francis isn't getting the in-cage experience. That's the reason why I made that kind of comparison. But if UFC 200 taught me anything, it's that the train is always going to leave the station. If you're, if you're Conor McGregor... You're scheduled to compete at the biggest card in UFC history to that, at that point, UFC 200. It was supposed to be Conor and Nate, John Jones, Cormier, Brock Lesnar, Mark Hunt, Misha Tate versus Amanda Nunes, which ended up becoming the main event of that card. What I learned is that the train is always going to leave the station because Conor McGregor was supposed to go to a press conference to promote UFC 200 and said, I'm in Iceland and that's going to interfere with my training. Every other fighter said they'd do it. But Connor said he wouldn't. 
So what happened? The train left the station. And it left without Conor McGregor. And they had to reschedule after UFC 202. So, with, so Conor McGregor has now lost the opportunity to headline what was going to be one of the biggest cards. I mean, if you, put, if you had that card intact with him and Nate, we know what happened with Jones and Cormier, but if that would have, however, somehow stayed together, we're talking about a massive amount of buys. That would have been McGregor's biggest pay date uh, up until that point. But the train left the station. And in this situation, the train's leaving the station again with Francis and Gannon waiting at the bus stop. Or the train stop, I guess. The subway station. Wherever you, whatever you, you understand. You understand what I'm saying here. But you've got a negotiation that's gone sideways. You, look, you see public negotiations going on right now. Well, public, I guess, posturing going on right now with UFC President Dana White and Markel Martin, who represents Francis Ngannou, former UFC employee who uh, now works at uh, CAA, one of the biggest management firms in the world when it comes to sports, sports broadcasting, everything. CAA is a, it's a juggernaut. But you also have to remember who CAA is, one of, their, one of the top competitors in the space is, and that's Endeavor. So things have always been contentious with CAA and the UFC. If you look back to the press conference where they were trying to form a union, it was Cain Velasquez, represented at the time by CAA. George St. Pierre, represented at the time by CAA. I believe Dillashaw at the time might have been represented by CAA. I can't remember, but I, 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 he, I don't believe he was with Tiki Gosen at that point in time. So a lot of people had said that CAA kind of behind the scenes were, were trying to start a fighters union. That was a lot of what the talk is. There's, that's never been confirmed. But, I mean, you can connect the dots on that one. So we've seen a lot of contentious behavior between these two entities. I mean, we see now George St. Pierre is not being allowed to compete in boxing. He's still under UFC contract. Why won't they release him for the contract? I don't know. But maybe, maybe CAA has nothing to do with that. And now you've got Markel Martin coming out and saying that, you know, he, that the UFC isn't everything. He goes, I'm ready to be blackballed by the UFC. This is a quote. I'm ready to, be, uh, I'm ready to get blackballed by, the, by UFC. I'm not defined by it. You or anyone else for that matter. How's that sound? Sincerely, your old employee, Markel Martin. So things are, are getting heated out, out there in social media land. And I, this, is, this is the thing. Are you going to watch Derek Lewis versus Cyril Gaon? I, I have to watch it as my job. But you love mixed martial arts if you're listening to this show. You might have stumbled upon it on the radio if you're in Toronto and Ottawa. And if so, I appreciate you listening. And if you're not that into MMA, maybe you can learn a little bit about what's going on in the heavyweight division right now. And I appreciate you listening. But if you're listening to, the, to this on the podcast or you're tuning into the radio station because, you know, this is obviously appointment listening. This show is fantastic. I don't blame you. You realize that you're probably going to watch the event. And I don't want you to say, oh, I'm going to stream this one. I don't care what you do. You can, you can make your own personal choices. You shouldn't stream. It's against the law. At least I think it's... Uh, whatever. I, I don't advocate that is what I'll say. But, uh, you know, you're going to watch this. And even if, for whatever reason, you, you're doing so through underhanded means, you're still going to be chatting about it on social media. You're still going to be posting about it. You're still going to be talking to your friends about it. The UFC is the star. That's what I'm getting at. The UFC is the star of the UFC. The train will keep rolling to the next station. 
It always, it always goes to the next station. People aren't going to say, I'm boycotting the UFC because they've instituted an interim championship in the heavyweight division. You're not going to boycott the UFC. If you like the sport, you're going to watch the sport because you love the sport. You know, people said they were going to boycott the NFL. I'm going to boycott the NFL because people are kneeling for the anthem. They're probably still watching the NFL. If you love and you follow a sport, you, you watch it because you love it. It's entertainment for you and you enjoy it. And, and you're going to watch UFC 265 with a main, main event between Derek Lewis and Cyril Gaon for an interim heavyweight title. And the UFC knows that. And if the UFC looks at the numbers and says, well, Francis wants to fight in September and he wants to make, I don't know, let's say $8 million. I don't know how much. I'm throwing out a, a totally arbitrary figure. $8 million. But we can have two guys fight on the date that we want. We can pay Derek Lewis a million dollars plus pay-per-view points depending on how many pay-per-views this thing sells. We can pay Cyril Gaon $500,000, maybe, maybe even less, plus pay-per-view points. We've now saved ourselves $6.5 million. Well, even more, $7.5 million, because probably we're going to pay Derek Lewis a good amount of money to fight the fight against Ngannou, but you're saving millions of dollars. You're still having Derek Lewis fight in Houston, so you've still got the big draw for that market, so your gate is not going to suffer. People aren't going to say, I'm not going to go watch that event. If you're going to go watch and you love Derek Lewis and you want to support your hometown guy, or at least it's his adopted home city, Houston, he's, he's a big star. People love Derek Lewis, especially people in Houston. The gate's not going to take much of a hit. You still get your second title shot in August. You've also got uh, Amanda Nunes against Juliana Pena. you got a heavyweight championship. Are the UFC going to lose $7.5 million or whatever it is? Millions of dollars. Are they going to lose millions of dollars by replacing Francis Ngannou? They're not. And that's why these things happen. That's why you have an, an arbitrary interim title that's brought in. They want their, their heavyweight title uh, to be defended in August. If it can't be defended in August, the train's leaving the station. You can get on the train. Hey, you can get on the train. You say your guy's healthy. I don't know what the reason is. Apparently, they said they agreed to fight Lewis in September. UFC wanted to happen in August for whatever reason. They want Derek Lewis to fight in Houston. Maybe that's the reason. Train's leaving the station. You, you, you're going to jump on or you're staying at the station? And Francis and his team decided it was in their best interest to stay at the station. And they, they thought, hey, maybe, maybe the train will stick around. Maybe they're not going to make an interim title this quickly, are they? Well, who blinks first? That's how negotiations work sometimes. And it's rarely the UFC. It is rarely the UFC because they hold the cards. They hold the title. They, they are in charge of the heavyweight championship. They could strip the title if they wanted to. They could say, well, Francis doesn't want to fight. You know, we've, seen, we've, heard, we've heard the old adage many times. He doesn't want to fight. Maybe, you know, that is to an extent true. He doesn't want to fight based on the terms that are being offered. But he doesn't want to fight. Hey, if you say it and you, you, you believe it, maybe that makes it true in your mind. But... And, and I want to just be clear about this. I'm not pro-promotion or pro-fighter in this equation. These are negotiations. They can figure it out. But I do think it, it, when you do something like this, the damage isn't in the financial realm. You're gonna, they're going to probably make more money because of this, as, as much as it pains me to say. Probably going to make more money in the long run because of this, which, again, it sounds, sounds wild, but hear me out. The issue is credibility. That's when people start to say interim titles are pointless. No reason to bring them in. 
there's too many interim titles. And the funny thing about too many interim titles is there are barely ever there are barely ever interim titles. Like there's just like there aren't. Like, like let, let's go through division by division. When was the last time there was an interim flyweight champion? Because uh, Cejudo gave it up. I, I don't. I can't remember. I don't think there was a single interim championship. Right now, the bantamweight champion just had neck surgery. There's no interim title there. That would be a legitimate reason to institute a, a an interim title. They haven't said anything about that. Bantamweight title still un- undisputed. Aljamain Sterling apparently haven't been, even been talks of there being an interim title. I mentioned that the Dana White, he, he, did, he seemed cold on the idea. Interim featherweight championship. There was one of those. That was when Max Holloway won it, I believe, against Anthony Pettis. And he was the interim champion, and then he beat Aldo and unified the titles. But that, that was a long time ago. That was like UFC what, 204 or something like that. It's a long time ago. And I don't think there has been one since, if I'm not mistaken. Lightweight championship. Well, this is this is where we uh, we things get a little bit interesting. So we had Ferguson was a, an interim lightweight championship, and then that interim title basically got dissolved. Gaethje was an interim champion, and he when he fought Khabib, there have been a couple interim champions in this division. Welterweight division. I don't believe there has been an interim. I guess the last interim champion would have been Colby Covington. So that was back at in Chicago. I don't don't remember exactly which UFC that was, but it was a while ago, a couple years ago. That that's been that was uh, again a while ago. You can look at the middleweight championship, Israel, somewhat recently middleweight champion, interim champion. Went and unified it against Robert Whitaker. Light heavyweight championship. I don't believe. I mean, there's been an interim many times because of John Jones' various escapades, um, and John fought for the interim title against Ovin St. Preux. So he was the interim champion at some point in time. I know Cormier was the interim champion at some point in time as well, if I'm not mistaken. But it's been some time. J- John, I guess, vacated the title, and that's how Jan Blachowicz won it, so no interims there. Heavyweight championship, we've got one created. We've got one on, on, on you know, that's finally about to be created. Everybody complained about Stipe only fighting once a year, and all this, and oh, there's a great interim belt. Never happened. And now, three, three months after Francis wins the title, there's an interim, interim championship. But again, it just goes back to my, my original point. The train's going to leave the station. And the, the train has left the station. And really, the, you know, there are a lot of losers here. One of which I think is Francis Ngannou, who doesn't get, again, is robbed of cage time. John Jones, who was expecting to face Francis Ngannou. That fight is now way in the rearview mirror and way down the road. We might not see John Jones compete for another year. If he if he's, has his heart set on competing for the heavyweight championship. John's in his prime right now. He's 33 years old. How many times have we seen John Jones compete in the last three years in his prime since he turned 30? So in the last three years, we've seen him compete four times, which is not bad. I mean, that's that's still more than once a year. But if you look at the amount of times that he's competed, I guess in the last 10 years, you have, uh, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 times. Imagine how many more times he could have fought if there weren't all these issues. Like, we're getting robbed of a prime John Jones right now, moving up to heavyweight. It's so intriguing, and we're just not going to see it. Another loser, Stipe Miocic. I don't know what's happening with him. He wanted to wait for another title. So he's going to be waiting an awful long time. <laughs> I mean, like, let's be real. 
Because, I mean, the only way that Stipe or John Jones is going to get a title shot is if they just decide to have them face Francis and then have the interim champion face the winner of that fight. But I don't see that happening. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. You've got Curtis Blade taking on Rosenstroik. Those guys are now a, a, you know, a distant memory in terms of having any sort of shot at title contention. So there's just a lot of a lot of fallout from this. There's a lot of fallout, but the big winner, of course, is Cyril Gaon. He's a big winner this past weekend, and now he's getting an interim title shot. He's been in the UFC for like two years. I think not even two years. Two, he's coming up on two years, and he's already fighting for the title. And the guy's a great fighter. And I think in terms of people that match up well against Francis, I mean, Cyril Gaon might be the best, the worst matchup for Francis. The former training partners, they probably know each other a little bit. In that regard, they probably, you know, they felt each other in the gym. And Gon won't be as scared going into a fight against Francis. Because one thing about going into a fight against Francis is, you're probably scared. I mean, nobody wants to talk about fighters being scared. But he's a scary guy. He's an imposing guy. We, we've looked at his track record. How many first-round finishes does he have in the UFC? Eight. Eight first-round finishes in, what, like 15 fights. Something like that. Like his first-round finishing rate is more than 50%. So you know getting in there with the guy that he's, you know, you're in, in immediate danger. But for Cyril Gaon, who's sparred with him before, trained with him before, you know, that danger's not as imminent because you've felt him before. And obviously he's not going 100 in the gym. But you've felt what, what he offers, what he brings to the table. So we'll see how this plays out. I mean, it's it's booked, so we now have an interim title fight in August. That's where the heavyweight championship is going, and we'll have to see where it goes from there. But, man, there's there's just a lot to unpack with this particular situation. But, hey, like I said, the train will always leave the station, and the train has left the station. So we've now got an interim championship out. Derek Lewis, Cyril Gaon. Cyril Gaon, a, a pretty sizable favorite. At least he opened his one. I'm, I'm going to see if the line has moved at all. Let's see. Let's see. Two sixty-five. Oh yeah, it did. It's moved. It's moved. Uh, it's now minus two seventy-five for Gon, plus two twenty for Derek Lewis. So it's moved in the direction of Derek Lewis. And some money coming on Derek Lewis. But now for August in uh, in Houston, Texas, you got Nunez versus Pena. You got Gon versus Lewis for the interim title. You got Jose Aldo against Pedro Munoz. Those are the fights right now that, that have odds for them. And if I recall, there are a lot of big fights on that card. Let's pull this one up. So we've got uh, the, one, the ones I just mentioned. You got Tisha Torres versus Angela Hill. You got Vicente Luque versus Mike, Michael Chiesa. I love that fight. Carolina Kovalkiewicz returning against Jessica Panay. Alonzo Manifield versus Ed Herman. They've got, so they're, they're adding a lot of good fights to this card. So let's see what it looks like. Casey Kenny versus Song Yudong. That's another good one. In the bantamweight division. But we're going to have to wait and see what happens with the heavyweight division. But it looks like Cyril Gaon's now on the fast track. Like Cyril Gaon went from having to possibly wait more than a year. I mean, he had Lewis ahead of him. He had Jones probably ahead of him. Guy was probably going to have to fight someone else. Probably have to wait to see what happens with Rosenstroik and Blades. And now, suddenly, he can be the interim champion in like a month from now. Just over a month from now, he could be have a heavyweight title wrapped around his waist and have the next shot at Francis to unify that those titles. And uh, 
I know from speaking to Stefan Patry, who runs TKO, he says Gon's going to be a future UFC champion. Like, he just says the guy's that good. The other interesting thing from, uh, from this situation is that Gon and Lewis are represented by the former management teams behind Francis and Ngannou and um, John Jones. And you make you wonder how much of this is spite. Like, how much, how much of this was like, yeah, let's do this. This is, let's stick it to these guys. I don't know what the answer to that is, but Derek Lewis is now, is represented by first round management, Malki Kawa, Abe Kawa. Cyril Gan is represented by Fernand Lopez, the former coach and manager of Francis Ngannou, and uh, there's definitely no love lost there. He is not, uh, he's not a fan. Let's just say Fernand Lopez is not a fan of Francis Ngannou. It was for a time when they were working together and he brought him into the world of MMA. Not a fan anymore. So that's, uh, that's the heavyweight situation there. I, I, I hope I, uh, I hope I hope you have a lot of time to enjoy that and unpack that and uh, and see see for yourself what uh, the future holds for the heavyweight division. Now let's uh, look back at this uh, this past weekend's events, several events. You got a PFL event, you got uh, Bellator, you got the UFC. We'll start with the UFC. Cyril Gunn earning a decision win over Alexander Volkov, 50-45, I had it fifty forty five for Cyril Gunn. I mean, this guy's just a virtuoso on the feet. He is as technical of a fighter as you we have ever seen in the heavyweight division of the UFC. Barely ever takes any damage. Barely gets hit. Like, if I, I'm going to go and look at Cyril Gunn's stats and see how many significant strikes he's actually absorbed. I mean, it's, it's going to be, of course, a lot more than uh, <laughs> Francis Ngannou has. But he absorbed 115 in that last fight with Volkov. Volkov is a is a pretty good volume, another great technical striker. Him and Gon have a lot of similarities. Both long, both very good, very technical. Volkov, I think, a little bit more well rounded, but I think that Gon had a big advantage on the feet. That's why I liked Gon by decision in that uh, in that one, which was a TSN edge pick. Um Gon outstruck him 135 to 115. Gon outstruck Rosenstrike 102 to 42. Outstruck Junior Dos Santos 59 to 10. Outstruck Tanner Bozer, who also uh, got a win over the weekend, 65 to 32. Dante Almeida's 94 to 32 in significant strikes, and in his debut against uh, Rafael Pessoa, 15 to 7. So he has basically doubled up every opponent up until Alexander Volkov this past weekend in significant strikes. Guy just does not. He gets in, he gets out, and he doesn't get hit. This past weekend he got hit, but I wouldn't say that he got hit by anything really damaging in that fight, anything that put him in any sort of danger. So he gets the win, and now, I mean, I don't need to tell you what's next, we now know. Co-main event, a Canadian gets a win, Tanner Bozer. Knocking out Ovin St. Preux midway through the second round. This was uh, good to see for Tanner Bozer, who really wanted to get the bad taste out of his mouth from that decision loss to Ilya Latifi that I think a lot of people thought should have went his way. And uh, he did that, he got a finish. Now, probably will take a little bit of time off before getting back in there, but uh, it's, uh, it's good to see because we need more Canadians in the rankings. We have one Canadian in the rankings right now across all divisions in the UFC. And uh, hopefully Tanner Bozer is uh, on his way to getting back to becoming a ranked heavyweight. Two close decisions to Andre Orlovsky and Ilya Latifi don't go his way. I thought that the Orlovsky fight was a little bit clearer for Orlovsky. Definitely compared to the Latifi loss, but uh, good knockout against Ovin St. Preux. And from talking to Bozier last week, it seemed like that was the only option for him. Like he just had, he was laser focused on getting a finish in that fight and was able to do so. A lot of circumstances surrounding it. 
you know, during the broadcast, they talked about Bozer grabbing the cage. When you look at the replay, it looked like that was not the case. He had his knuckles against the cage, which helped him get some leverage, which is legal. There was a bit of a clashing of heads, of course, that I think led to the knockout that the referee didn't notice. That's nobody's fault. Unintentional, incidental headbutt that the referee did not notice, which, I mean, that's how Joseph Benavidez lost to Davis and Figueredo the first time, got rocked by a headbutt. And St. Fru looked like he took one on the temple and that threw off his balance at that moment. Timur Valiev beats Rowney Barcelos 28-28, which is how I had it scored. 29-28, 29-28. Very close fight. Of, a fight that had a very close first and third round and a less close second round for Barcelos, who nearly got a finish in the second round. That's what surprised me. I mean, he hit him with that big uppercut. That should have been a 10-8 round, in my opinion. If that's not a 10-8 round, this is why I'm always advocating for the decimal system. Because if you have a decimal point system, first round 10 to 9.5 either way, Third round, 10 to 9.5, probably for Valiev. Second round would be 10 to 8.5, at least for Barcelos. And then you have either a draw or a Barcelos win. I don't know how you tabulate that one. But either way, not all 10-9 rounds are created equal, and that, that is a perfect example of that. Andre Feely, Daniel Pineda, no contest due to an accidental eye poke. Feely was in cruise control. This might have been the best Andre Feely we've ever seen. Hate to see a fight end that way because now... He loses half of his paycheck as a result. And this has been talked about ad nauseum since it happened. But you got to hand it to Pineda. I mean, he wanted to continue. He just couldn't see. He's, you know, that's how that fight should have happened. You know, that's how that fight ends. That's a no contest. It's an unfortunate problem with the salary structure. And hopefully the UFC are able to... Uh, do Andre Feely right, but uh, he didn't score a win in that fight, and it's unfortunate because he was just in cruise control. I thought that first round was a 10-8 round. I don't know the official scores uh, up until that point offhand, but uh, very, very lopsided fight in favor of Andre Feely up until that point. Tim Means beats Nicholas Dalby. I'll uh, give credit to Dan Tom, who pointed out Dalby's propensity to losing to lefties. The Southpaws. Dan Tom is the Southpaw whisperer. He, he is one of the analyst in this space who really focuses on how people perform against Southpaws, and that will be very prevalent in the main event of UFC 264, which is coming up between Dustin Poirier and uh, Conor McGregor. Poirier is, uh, he does okay against Southpaws, if I recall. But, uh, yeah, Tim Means beats Dolby. Unanimous decision. Hinato Moicano looked phenomenal against Jai Herbert. Scoring a real naked, rear naked choke submission after rocking Herbert in that second round. And then after the fight, he gets on the mic and says, I, I fell in love with boxing. And he goes, it was a bad move. I messed up. I should have stuck with my bread and butter with jiu-jitsu. He kind of reminds me of this point, at this point in time of uh, the, the trajectory of Charles Oliveira. I mean, Moicano's a bit on the older side to get that kind of a comparison. How old is Moicano? I think he's 32. Yeah, Moicano's thir- just turned 32. So he's actually a similar age to Charles Bronx. But a guy who had a lot of trouble making weight at 145 pounds. On the smaller side for lightweight. But he's got a great, he's got a grappling advantage against a lot of people in this division. If he can get them to the ground, I mean, it's going to be his fight to lose, regardless of who he's against, uh, with the exception of guys like Bronx. So... 
you know, he's training at American Top Team. I think Moicano's got a very bright future ahead of him at lightweight. He's had his ups and downs so far. His record since uh, joining the lightweight division is now 2-1. and one. He had a submission win over Demir Hadzovic, who actually competed on this card this past weekend as well and scored a win. We'll talk about him a little bit uh, later on. But the loss to Rafael Fiziev, and I think Fiziev is one of these guys that is going to be in the top five, maybe, you know, top ten, maybe top five one day in the lightweight division. Just a great fighter. And then you look at his losses at uh, featherweight there against the Korean Zombie, Jose Aldo, Brian Ortega. is losing to elite fighters. And, that Orte- and he was beating Ortega up until Ortega was able to snatch that sub late in the third round. So, uh, Hans- so uh, sorry, um, I think Moicano has the potential to really make some noise in this division. If, if he's able to continue to learn his striking, but also continue to focus on his jiu-jitsu, very similar to how Charles Bronx has. how He's improved the stand-up, but when it gets to the ground, that's really when it's time for these two guys to shine. Kennedy and Zechukwu defeats Danilo Marquez. Third round, 20 seconds in, TKO punches. Just gonna hear this noise. That's me doing the old Barry Horowitz pat on the back. My TSN Edge dart of the week. 10 to 1 odds. Kennedy, Kennedy and Zechukwu wins in the third round. The dart hits the board. So, if you were looking at my darts from start to finish, this is the whole point of this. Is like you hit one of these and you're covered for like weeks. And every now and then, if one of them one of them comes through like this one did, you're going to be up. Dart of the week's about what five five six events old. So, if you we're putting the same amount on all these darts, and this one hits the board, hits the bullseye, ten to one, you're looking good. But uh, it played out exactly how, how I said it would, would in that uh, preview, where I said Marquez is going to make his life miserable for a round, maybe two rounds, take him down, try to exhaust him. But instead, he's going to exhaust himself. And Zechukwu has got a great gas tank. He's got power that lasts into the third round. He's going to win in the third round. And you could tell at the end of the second round, that's how the fight was going to go. Like, Marquez looked tired. And Zechukwu looked still pretty fresh. Lane's big punches and then... 20 seconds into the third round. I don't, I don't know what... The, I think the odds between rounds were around 4-1 to one in favor of uh, Marquez. But yeah, I had a plus 1,000. And Zedjikou wins round 3, and he does. Shavkat Rachmanov. This is the one that I got wrong this past week, and I went 3-1 and one on my edge picks. I had Rachmanov winning by decision. Instead, he wins by submission in the second round. Prezeris, uh historically tough out. But this guy, Rachmanov, looks like the real deal. Looks like a great prospect. Eager to see how he does. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Wells. Defeats uh, Worley Alves, second round knockout. Wells was just, I mean, this guy just throw, throws with bad intentions. <laughs> he, he hits you and that his shots look like they've got some sting on them. And Worley Alves is a very similar fighter in that regard, but Wells uh, just outlasts Alves. Alves was, was playing it. He was, he's a guy that tends to get exhausted early in fights because he, he has a, you know, a lot of output. He's looking for the finish. He was very conservative with his output in the first round, but it wasn't enough. Because Wells was in this fight the entire time and, uh, and has some big power. A couple other results. Marcin Pacquiao defeats Isaac Villanueva with a fierce liver kick in the second round. Julia Avila submits Julia Stolyarenko in the third round. I like Avila. I think she's got a good future in the division. Uh, she had a tough loss to Sajara Eubanks, but she's a really good fighter. There was some bad judging in that fight. It's a good thing that that ended with submission because there was some weird... I think one judge had Stolyarenko up two rounds to none going to the third, which is just unconscionable. 
I'm going to skip this one and come back to it, but let's start with Demir Hadzovic, the fight that opened up the card, defeats Yancey Medeiros by unanimous decision. But I want to talk about Charles Rosa versus Justin James. And I was listening to uh, the Protect Your Neck podcast with Dan Tom, and he kind of beat me to the punch on his take on James betting his purse on himself. And I'm going to kind of expand on what Dan said. People were ripping Justin James and making fun of him for betting his purse, his show money, on himself. I don't know what his show money was, maybe twenty-seven dollars or $30,000, something like that. He, he bet it all on him winning this fight. And he looked good in the fight. I mean, the scorecards were 30-27 Rosa, which is a terrible scorecard. 29-28 Janes and 29-28 Rosa. So split decision. And people were also going after Janes for taking Rosa down when he had him th- hurt in the third round. But he was able to lock in a, a head and arm choke. An arm triangle that Rosa was able to escape. And Rosa's great, has great BJJ. So, you know, I understand that people know this about Rosa and that it's a risky move to do that when you have him hurt on the feet. But James didn't take him down to do nothing with it. James was being offensive with that takedown and trying to go for a finish. You can't fault him for that. But one expand on what Dan, Dan Tom said, which was basically that every fight for these guys that are paid show money plus win money is them betting on themselves. You're accepting a fight where you get your show money no matter what, but basically you're gambling that you're going to win your your win your win bonus, and that's why people want to take favorable fights in this sport because they, that win bonus is everything to these guys. There's also performance bonuses up in the air, but neither of these guys got the performance bonus, which is fifty thousand dollars. That went to Timur Timur Valiev, Rowney Barcelo. So at least Barcelos gets. Some money after that uh, loss, which I think really should have been a draw or could have gone either way. Kennedy and Zechikou, Marcin Prakneo getting performance of the night bonuses as well for their finishes. But when you are in, if you've made it to the UFC, chances are you've bet on yourself already. May not be going to, to the betting window and betting on yourself. But one day Justin James walked into a gym and... He was good at martial arts and continues to be good at martial arts and continues to evolve as a martial artist. One day he said, I'm so good at this, I bet I could make a career out of this. That's the first bet he made on himself. He bet that one day he's going to be really good at this and make it, make it to the UFC. He fights 19 times before he makes it to the UFC. He gets some fights in World Series of Fighting on probably on undercard Bellator, probably in the undercard, probably not making a ton of money on that, maybe $5,000. Those are big paydays for him at that point in time. But he starts his career March 15th, 2013, gets to the UFC more than seven years later. So for seven years, he's betting on himself. He's winning a fight and says, you know, I'm 3-0. Let's keep going. Loses a fight, 3-1. Well, do I want to continue doing this? Maybe, I, maybe I'm not that good. Maybe, you know, I shouldn't have lost that decision. And, yeah, let's keep going. Wins two in a row. Five and one. Then he loses to Jimmy Spacuza in the World Series of Fighting. Unanimous decision. Five and two. Do I want to keep doing this? I mean, risking my health every time out there. Do I really love this? Am I really that good? You look at the guys at the top of the sport. They're not losing two, two fights. Let's keep going. Wins his next fight. Great. Six and two. Loses a split decision to Jesse Gross in 2014 at Provincial FC3. 
Six and three. Not a great win percentage. Am I, am I still good enough? Am I good enough to keep doing this? Wins five in a row. Bang. Yeah, I'm good enough. Let's keep going. Loses his next one. Rumble on the water three. Three years after his last loss almost. Ah, well. Come this far. Let's keep going. Let's go. Wins four in a row. Short notice assignment. Wins in 41 seconds in his UFC debut against Frank Camacho. The betting on himself pays off. Gets a performance of the night bonus. Definitely the biggest payday of his career. The gamble's paid off now. At this point in time, he's won the bet. He's playing with house money, in my opinion, at this point in time. Loses four UFC bouts in a row. One by sub, two by TKO. Now a split decision loss to Rosa. But he's won the bet, in my opinion. He bet on himself up until that point in his career. And now he's in the UFC. And he's been able to fight five times in the UFC in almost five times in a year. Less than a week removed from having fought five times in a single year. That's a, so if he's, if he's making, let's say he made 30 and 30, or 20 and 20 in his first fight. It's 40000 plus the performance bonus, $90,000 in his first fight. And now he's made 80000 in the fights. I mean, you can take the money away that he lost on this fight by betting on himself. But he's, he's made, in the span of a year, now he hasn't cleared this amount of money because you have to pay a bunch of people, but about $150,000, let's say. That's good money for a year. But he's continuing to gamble. He's betting, he's betting on his health. He's been, he's ne- he had never been finished prior to getting to UFC. He has been fi- was finished three times in a row in the UFC. And he, he took a fourth fight against Ro- he took a uh, fifth fight against Rosa. He's betting that he's going to be healthy enough after two TKO losses in a row to just keep going, to, 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 to do it again. He's fought at catchweight. He's fought at featherweight, catchweight, lightweight. He's done it all in his UFC career. Fought in two catchweight bouts, a lightweight bout, and a featherweight bout. And this was a featherweight bout as well. Featherweight's his natural weight class. He fought at 160 pounds against Devontae Smith. It's 15 pounds higher than he's accustomed to. And same with, I think Devontae Smith's actually a lightweight. But be that as it may, he's betting on himself on that one too. He took that on short notice against a really good prospect after he fought two months prior. So all these people online, they're saying, oh, this guy's he shouldn't have bet on himself. He shouldn't have bet his... His whole career is predicated on him betting on himself. That's it. So, you can talk about that. You can say, oh, you can look at that one single bet. But he's paying his gym dues. He's paying his management. He's paying his coach. He's paying possibly a nutritionist. All these fighters are constantly betting on themselves. They're betting on themselves by hiring all of these people that they have to pay off out of their purse. Because... Every single time out there, they need that win bonus in order to, to win that bet. Then this is what Dan Tom was saying, and he's 100% right. This is maybe an anomaly where a guy comes out and says, I'm betting my paycheck on myself at the betting window. But the, the spirit of these guys, in order to get to the UFC, they ha- they've had to have bet on themselves countless, countless times to get to where they had to be. So for people to be making a big deal about this guy losing a bet at the betting window... I mean, that's what these guys are about. <laughs> like, let's, let's, let's call it for what it is. Like, these guys are gamblers. They're, they're gambling every time out there. They're betting, they're betting their health. They're betting their long-term health. They're betting their, their money. They're be- you know, if you lose a fight and you have to pay your manager 10%, sometimes it's as high as 20%. You have to pay your coach. Your coach is, not just your coach. Your coach is. You have to pay training partners. You have to pay 
for different travel expenses that aren't covered by the UFC or hotel expenses that aren't covered for the UFC because you only bring a certain amount of your team members. Maybe you want to fly your family out. Like, how much money are you bringing home if you're making 30 and 30 if you lose that fight? I'm thinking maybe three, dollars $4,000, like $5,000, $10,000 maybe? That's the gamble of the sport. That's what people don't understand here is every single one of these fights is a gamble. James happens to live in Las Vegas, so he doesn't have any travel expenses for his coaches. He, he saves money on that, which is great. So, and listen, he's managed by Jason House, who's probably, probably going to give him some money anyways. Or say, listen, don't worry about this one if you bet, we know you bet your purse. I don't know how it works out with them, but Jason House is known to be one of the, the bigger class acts in, in this space in terms of managers. He's always looking out for his guys. He's had guys like Louis Smolka, who I think is fighting uh, at UFC 264 against Sean O'Malley. Louis Smolka lived with Jason House to help him get clean. There was another fighter that I interviewed recently that also moved in with Jason House. Like Brandon Moreno, when he was moving to Vegas, was living with Jason House. His family, I believe, was living with Jason House. Like This guy looks after his guys. But... Again, that's what this sport is. And even Jason House is a guy who bet on himself. Jason House came out when he was when he decided to become a mixed martial arts manager. He was, I think, had like a, a law degree, and was working. He decided to work at I think it was Outback Steakhouse or something along those lines. One of those chains, my yeah, Outback, I believe it was, as a waiter at night and work as a manager during the day. And he said, "I have two years to get a guy signed to a major promotion, or I'm I'm just I'm not going to do this." And at almost the exact anniversary of two years. He had a guy get a WEC fight, and he stuck with it, and now he's got one of the biggest rosters in the UFC. He might be the biggest roster of UFC fighters. I know uh, Ali Abdelaziz has a ton of guys, too. But if you look at just sheer volume of guys, Jason House has a massive roster at Iridium Sports. And that's because he bet on himself. That's what this sport is. Heck, that's what a lot of jobs are. That's what my job is. I, I bet on myself. I, I did internships for work for free for years to bet on myself that I would be good at this profession. I worked behind the scenes for a year. I, I didn't even think I was going to be on air. You bet on yourself, you do good work, and you end up reaping the benefits. That's what life is. So for people to make a big deal of this guy betting money on himself, I mean, just just think about what, what this sport is. <laughs> like, that, that's all there is to it. Uh, all right, let's take a look at the... We're going to run down the Bellator card. Johnson versus Moldavski in the main event. Timothy Johnson loses a unanimous decision to Moldovsky. It's actually a much closer fight than the decision would indicate. It was 50-45, 49-46, This was a very close fight. Kind of similar to the, uh, the, the UFC main event, although I think that one was a little bit more clear. But Moldovsky was kind of shaking his head at the end when they were reading the decision. I don't think he thought he won. That's how close this one was. But we have a new interim champion in Bellator. An interim heavyweight champion. Wow, what a theme these past few days. But uh, that's Valentin Moldovsky who will eventually face uh, Ryan Bader for the heavyweight championship. Liz Carmouche defeats Kana Watanabe 35 seconds into the first round. Very unlike uh, Carmouche to do that. Although we do have to remember, she almost choked out Ronda Rousey in that first round. Uh, how long did that first round with, with Ronda last before she got finished? Yeah, that, that, that went almost a full five rounds, but... Early on in that round, like, Ronda was in trouble. <laughs> if you go back and watch that fight, that, that almost... Imagine what would have happened to women's mi- mixed martial arts had Liz Carmouche beat Ronda Rousey that first time out in the UFC. And it was close. I'm sure there was some sweating going on. But uh, Liz Carmouche ends up winning that fight. 
I was kind of uh, back and forth with this event and PFL Iran at the same time. So th those are really the, the big uh, highlights from that particular card. PFL 6. Kayla Harrison beat Cindy Dandwa in the first round. And, uh, man, she just looked bored. She looked bored in the interview after the fact. She looked bored during the fight. She looked like this is just way too easy for me. And I can't blame Cindy Dandwa for basically just taking it to the ground and laying on her back and trying to score finishes off her back. And that was probably her best path to victory. And she was nowhere near <laughs> putting Kayla Harrison in any sort of danger. So don't, when I say it was her best path to victory, it doesn't mean that there was a, a clear path whatsoever. It might have just been her best path. It seemed like she had some something planned and she was throwing all kinds of stuff up there. And hey, you got to throw Hail Marys if you're going up against Kayla Harrison. But she ends up getting submitted with an armbar with uh, 15, 16 seconds rather left in the first round. And uh, Kayla Harrison continuing to... Uh, she, she's the number two seed. We'll get to that too. Number two seed going into the, uh, the playoffs is Kayla Harrison. Shockingly. So uh, she beat Cindy Dandwa in the main event. She was like a minus 5,000 favorite or something like that. Roush Manfio defeats Anthony Pettis. He was an underdog as well. Gets a split decision win over Pettis. I thought Pettis might have won that one. That was a really close decision. Very close fight. Um... And, and one of the bigger shocks of uh, the season of, of the PFL, Movlid Kaibulayev beats Lance Palmer by the decision, and Palmer is now eliminated from the tournament. After winning two straight tournaments, was on a massive win streak, has now lost two in a row in the PFL. Shocking turn of events in the career of Lance Palmer, who might have fought for the last time in the PFL after this season. Uh, I would imagine he's going to look elsewhere. I, I know that they, uh, there have been some words stated publicly with Lance Palmer, Lance Palmer's father. Towards the PFL. I'd be surprised if he's in the next tournament. Dennis Goltsov defeats Brandon Sales by TKO. Goltsov, uh, is, uh, he's a really good fighter. I think he should be the... He's the guy to beat, I think, in the heavyweight division. Bruno Capaloza defeats... Or I guess it's Capaloza. Defeats Mohamed Deris in the first round. Larissa Pacheco with a big 1-2 against Olena Kolesnik. Kolesnik missed weight. Larissa Pacheco decided instead of having a walkover, she wanted to earn some points. And earn some points she did, getting to the six, six points in the first round with a nice one-two finish. Those are really the, the big stories. Uh, oh, actually, I'll go to one more. The first fight of the night. Jamel Jones gets into the tournament with a first-round KO over Clemson Abreu. And I want to give a shout-out to Ian Parker, who's just killing it with his picks uh, for the PFL this past week. All right. Well, that's uh, that's our recap of uh, the uh, the events that happened. One last thing I want to talk about is this uh, video with uh, former Bellator fighter and uh, former Glory kickboxer Joe Schilling and Bellator kickboxer. Joe Schilling was at a bar, and there was a guy who was, uh, I mean, clearly had had a couple too many. And uh, there's a video that has surfaced where Schilling said that he felt threatened by this guy and basically delivered a one-two and knocked a guy out at a bar who was much smaller than him. Now, I don't know the full story here. I, I've, we've heard Schilling's side of the story. And uh, I don't really want to comment that much on it. I know that if if um, legal teams get involved or something along those lines, we'll, we'll, we'll probably hear what the full story was. So I don't want to guess about what happened. I don't want to, you know, I we know Schilling's side of the story again. I don't know the other guy's side of the story. But here's how I want to approach this. And... Um, it looked like it was unnecessary what Schilling did. It looked like he was trying to be a hero at a bar, and and, and a guy was acting out, and the bar staff weren't weren't happy about it. 
But uh, listen, we, li we live in a nation with laws. And when you do something like that, you know, you're putting yourself, you're putting yourself in danger of having to go to prison, having to face uh, civil lawsuits. Is it worth it for Joe Schilling to do that? Even if, for whatever reason, he's able to get off on a legal, legally, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's just going to create headaches for him. And for the other guy, I feel bad for him. He's a small guy, you know. Probably had a few too many and messed with the wrong guy. <laughs> Clearly, if you're, you know, Joe Schilling's wearing a shirt that says cage, ring, or parking lot. I mean, that's probably the last guy you want to mess with. I might get a shirt like that just so people don't mess with me. They'll still mess with me anyways, but be that as it may. When I was taking martial arts classes, uh, I had a situation where my son, my son was also taking martial arts classes, and I went to uh, pick him up from uh, martial arts. He was five, you know, he's five years old. He was uh, maybe older than that, probably like seven, eight years old. And I had my my other my other my other son in the car was sleeping in the back. So I pulled up to the entrance where uh, I had to go pick up my son from martial arts. I called up and said, hey, do you mind bringing him down? Um, my son's leaving the car. He said, yeah, no problem. So I'm parked there. And believe me, I'm going somewhere with this. And a car pulls up behind me and starts slamming its horn and yelling, move your car. Move your car. So I open the window. I, I tell him to go around. There's space for him to go around. The guy's slamming the horn saying, move your car, move your car. It's an older guy. And... I, I'm getting angry because, I, you know, I'm trying to keep my son safe because I don't want have, him have to have to cross the road with somebody. I want to make it easy on the school where he is. Sure, there's no parking sign. I've got my four ways on. I'm not parked. I'm waiting. I'm standing. And my, my other son is sleeping, and this guy's pounding on the horn. So I keep saying, go around, go around. Whatever, the guy pulls up next to me, starts yelling at me. And I just stayed cool. I, I closed the window and just looked the other way. And then at my next martial arts class afterwards, I, I asked the chief if I could chat with him afterwards. And, uh, yeah, of course, you know, I went to his office. And I told him about what had happened. And I said to him, when you're in a situation where you feel threatened, where you feel like somebody is getting into your space or somebody is, um, you know, trying to intimidate you, trying to... And you feel like you could get in their face and show them what you're about. What do you do? And he said, well, I've been in these situations before. And he said, usually what I do, what I do is I laugh. What these people are looking for is power. They want to get you worked up. They want you to get angry with them. They want to put you in a situation where things are going to escalate. And maybe what, that's what that guy was doing, or maybe he had just had a few too many and had lost control. I don't know. But he said what you should do is you should laugh at them. You should just smile, laugh, don't worry about it. Like, take the power away from them. Disarm them a little bit. There's no reason for you to escalate things when you don't have to. Martial arts should be used for defense. And of course, it's used in competition as well. But it should be used as a means of protecting yourself if you are ever put in a situation where somebody tries to get physical with you or, or you, you can't de-escalate a situation. You can't 
talk somebody out of talk somebody down or whatever. That's when you that's when it's okay to use martial arts. And those words always kind of stuck with me because it's it's true. Like if somebody's trying to be noisy or be loud or be confrontational, there's probably something going on in their lives that is making them that way. And you kind of have to approach it with empathy instead of anger. Now the reason why I'm saying this is because you know, I've spoken to guys like Elias Theodoro, former UFC fighter, and he said that, and I said to him, has anybody ever messed with you at a bar? And he says when he's at a bar and somebody says something to him or somebody's trying to mess with him or whatever, and he, he says he buys them a drink. He says he buys them and their friends drinks. And the reason why he does that is because he's, he does, he's not looking to get into fights with people in the street. He, he knows what he could do to the, these people. He's a, he's a mixed martial artist. He's a UFC fighter. <laughs> he's, he, he doesn't need to prove anything to, to people at a, at a bar that are not themselves at that moment. That are, you know, maybe they're trying to show off for their friends. Maybe they've had too many. He buys them a drink and de-escalates the situation. And when he does that, what, what is the end result? The people that mess with him end up feeling foolish because they mess with a guy who's a nice guy, is buying them a drink, and you've, you've taken that situation and totally diffused it. And hey, maybe you make some friends along the way. So whether or not Joe Schilling was right to do what he did, I, I, that's not for me to argue. That's, that can go to the courts. That can go to the, 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 the legal system. That can go to well, however this is dealt with from here. Maybe it doesn't get dealt with. Maybe the guy you know, wakes up says, wow, I, I drank too many. I was, I was, that, was, that was silly of me. Maybe he sees the video and he's like, okay, well, I can do something with this. Who knows what happens? And that's why I don't really want to comment on this situation as a whole because I don't know the situation. But what I do know is that when you are trained in martial arts, and I'm not Joe Schilling, believe me. <laughs> I'm not Elias Theodoru. But when you're trained, you know, the, 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 the mentality should always be to use it when you need to use it. And it's the same with people that carry a weapon. There, there's really no reason to do it. Like, there's no reason to, to use, use things, use weapons as a means of escalation. It's just not needed. If you can defuse the situation, you should defuse that situation. So that's what I learned from when I was taking martial arts. And now Joe Schilling, I think, is going to have a lot of problems going forward as a result of this. And I think the guy who got knocked out, obviously, is gonna, could have a bevy of health problems. I, I certainly don't want to demean the, uh, the other person in this situation. So, instead of escalating, always try to defuse. That's, that's the lesson of the day. I'm trying to think if there are some other uh, stories that uh, we can look at here. I know Manny Pacquiao has uh, kind of severed his relationship with Paradigm Sports Management. So maybe the uh, idea of a Pacquiao versus Conor McGregor boxing match is not going to happen now. <laughs> if, you were, if you were hoping for that, I'm not sure that there were that many people hoping for that. Oh, Bisping. This is a good example, actually. This is the example I should have brought up because it just happened. Bisping went on social media, Michael Bisping, UFC commentator, former middleweight champion of the world, and said that a guy came up to him and started hitting him in the streets. He didn't like that Bisping was shooting a video and said, stop shooting a video and started hitting him. And Bisping laughed at him. That's exactly what my, my, the, the chief that I spoke to, martial arts chief, told me to do. Just laugh at them. Make fun of them. Just, they're not worth your time. Brush it off. 
Do you think Bisping is going to get in any trouble from here? He did the right thing. And Bisping is not, not necessarily a guy who doesn't have a short fuse. Bisping, Bisping has his days, I'm sure. If he was lucky he caught Bisping on a good day. But so is Bisping. Bisping's also lucky that the guy caught him on a good day because you don't want to get into trouble. There's just no reason for it. So kudos to Michael Bisping for having a cooler head in that kind of a situation. All right. Well, let's wrap this baby up. Going to take uh, the rest of the week off. There won't be a TSN MMA show interview edition this week, sadly. But next week, I think we'll more than make up for it. We got Dana White uh, scheduled, Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier. You get the works. No need for an appetizer. We got a, we got a huge buffet next week for you to enjoy. So if you're not watching any MMA this week, uh, you know there are some regional promotions that are, do have cards. Enjoy them if you are watching them. If you're not watching them, enjoy some time with your family. You got the uh, Stanley Cup final, the... Uh, NBA uh, conference finals. We got the Euro Cup. No shortage of sports to watch right now. But if you're strictly an MMA person, like I mostly am, just enjoy some time with your family. Enjoy the, enjoy the beautiful weather. If you're out west in Canada, whew, wear your sunscreen. It's like 40, 45 degrees Celsius out there. Vegas weather in Vancouver this time of year. Never seen anything like that before. I think it's the hottest day in, in Canada since the 1930s recently so stay safe out there don't uh don't don't start any fires don't go camping and start bonfires or anything like that just like be be safe be safe that's all i ask all right thanks for tuning in we'll be back next week joe will be back we're gonna preview ufc 264 so enjoy uh, the rest of your week everybody and until then have have some fun enjoy some time with your family enjoy the summer Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.